The following program is brought to you by the 511 Media Group. This program is available on iTunes, Spotify, the 511 Media Group YouTube channel, and 511mediagroup.com. Welcome back, Spookles and Witches. Welcome to another episode of Lights Out Podcast. Uh, before we get started today, we have some exciting news. So we are featured again on the Conversations About Nothing podcast. Uh, the first episode we did was on fears and nightmares. And the new one we are going to be on is about superstitions. Uh, so if you enjoy our content, go ahead and check that out um, on the same platforms that we are presented on. And it's by 511 Media as well. Uh, so go check that out. It'll be out as soon as this one is. So uh, yeah. Go, go check that out and give it some love as well. Um, but today, we're going to be talking about the unsolved mystery of John JonBenet Ramsey. Yes. So I'm just going to get right back, not back, uh, right into the background info. Starting. Oh, that was a draft. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> There's an Arctic freeze in this yeah. podcast room today. You're bundling up <laughs> like we're outside. It might be warmer outside, honestly. Like It's it's gotten nice out. It is yeah. it's early spring yeah. in the Midwest. Well, <laughs> for this week, we're going to be in the mid 60s It this was week. supposed to rain tonight. Did oh, you know was that? it? Yeah. No. But I also know Monday through Thursday we have a 50% chance of snow. Oh. It sure I lived. La- it only lasts for so long. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it snowed like close to my birthday one year, so it's not surprising. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, we're going to start off with uh who John Benet Ramsey is. She was named after her father, John Bennett, and her mother, Patricia, also known as Patsy. Patricia! Patricia! Uh, <laughs> John Bonet, or yeah, John Bonet Patricia Ramsey was born on August 6, 1990, in Atlanta, Georgia, the youngest of the two children. John Bonet was an outgoing Southern girl who enjoyed being in the center of attention. By age six, she had already won multiple pageant titles. Her father, a multi-million a multimillionaire businessman and his and her mother who was a former pageant queen miss west virginia of 1977 doted on their daughter in every way possible um as known she was murdered in her colorado home and no one knows who did it patsy ramsey also known as patricia Patricia Ann Ramsey was born on December 29th, 1956 in Parkersburg, West Virginia. She was an American beauty pageant winner who won the Miss West Virginia pageant at age 20 in 1977. Her and her husband, John, wrote a book, The Death of Innocence, about the murder of their daughter in the year 2000. She had passed away on June 24th, 2006 due to a 14 year battle with ovarian cancer. She was also buried next to John Bonet and their other daughter who died in a tragic car accident. John Ramsey was born on December 7th, 1943. This is the old guy. <laughs> uh, in Lincoln, Nebraska. John formed the Advanced Product Group, one of three companies that merged to become Access Graphics. John was a multimillionaire and was named Entrepreneur of the Year. This was the year that John Bonet was murdered as well. After the death of his second wife, Patsy, he began dating Beth Holloway, mother of missing Natalie Holloway, which I found kind of interesting that uh, he ended up dating someone else that also had a missing child. <clears throat> John then relocated to Moab, Utah. I probably pronounced that wrong. I don't know how to pronounce that. 
and is now married to Jan Rosowitz, and they now live in Michigan. I believe that's herself, but I, it's French. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. Just going to guess that was the first time I said it too out loud. <laughs> um. That's a lot of paper yeah. you just Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, I I have a lot of information about this one because the timeline is just, there's a lot that happened. Ugh. Sorry, I was getting okay. forward. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't have a lot about pre-murder. Um, okay. Just about, okay, so <laughs> I was um, doing research via uh, documentaries and the first one I tried watching was casting John Bonet because everyone lost their mind when that came out and I really didn't like it I only got about halfway through it and I had to stop watching it uh, mainly for two reasons the first reason being that it was very out of order it was very hard to try to just if I hadn't known anything about the murder at all and I watched this for the first time, I would have been like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> like, it doesn't make sense. It's not chronological. And it just wasn't fascinating. And another thing that I think bothered me was it wasn't looking at the case kind of objectively. It was looking at what the townspeople thought. And you could tell that they were very swayed by um, media. Um, and a big thing about this case is that media has very much so um, made the Ramsey family the uh almost perpetrators of her murder mm-hmm. um which i thought originally before watching some of these documentaries that um that maybe they did cover it up because you know accidents happen i've heard things about the brother about him being you know a, like a hot-headed and yeah. might have accidentally killed a sister and they had to cover it up somehow but it, in the end it it doesn't add up and the fact that it's portrayed so well um that they could have done it you need to stop I, before you okay, rip off your skin. I'm, I'm scratching because I still <laughs> have the Marinberry lemonade stuck to me from when I did the bubblers. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's a serious it's a serious uh, thing that the media does, and it's still very much so portrayed that the family did it, and mm-hmm. there is a lot of evidence that make them innocent so the fact that it's still so hyped up is kind of concerning and I think a lot of people think that the family still did it um whether it was the mom or the brother I don't think anyone really thinks John did it but some people did think that John did it but we're gonna get into all the theories I don't know I know my mom thinks that the family did it (laughs) and she's she's watched it but like this this other documentary I'll talk about after we kind of go over the murder and everything just really changed my mind and it's just kind of mind-blowing how many theories are out there and how much they've actually done throughout the years I mean this is almost what like a 20 year old murder by now it's 96 when she died um (laughs) almost yeah so that was it's almost 20 years 20 years we're five years away okay Yeah. yeah so um I just, you know, I think we got to get the facts straight and the family still lives with it. And, you know, I mean, Patsy died before, you know, people started to really think it wasn't the family. And (laughs) it just sucks because he still lives with it every day and it's still something that he struggles with. So, um, anyway, (laughs) we're going to get right into the timeline, uh, First thing, December 23rd, 1993, a 911 call was made from the Ramsey home, and this was reported to have been done accidentally by a drunk guest at their Christmas party. So this is the first thing that has to do with the Ramseys 
that's documented at least, not including like all the media about John's company. Um, then on December 26, 1996, Ram- the Ramses attend a Christmas party at the White's house, and John Bonet received a bike. This was the night before the murder. And then on December 26, 1996, at approximately 5.30 a.m., Patsy woke up early and headed downstairs where she discovered a two-and-a-half-page ransom note saying John Bonet has been kidnapped, demanding a $118,000 ransom, 100000 in 100 bills, and 18000 in 20 bills. Oddly enough, this is the almost the exact amount that John received from his Christmas bonus. And the reason that they were up so early that day is because they were all planning to catch a flight to go to Atlanta. So originally I had the ransom note printed out, but uh, I obviously forgot it upstairs. Um, So I feel like it's kind of important to read the note because it's um, very strange the way it was written and there's spelling errors. Um, And it's kind of important to what I'm going to be talking about later down the line. So I'm just going to read it real quick. Um, Bear with me. It's very hard to read. It's very poor handwriting. (laughs) Um, It says, Mr. Ramsey, listen carefully. We are a group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction. Uh, We respect your business, but not the country that it serves. At this time, we have your daughter in our possession. She is safe and unharmed. And if you want to see... If you want her to see 1997, you must follow our instructions to this letter. And keep in mind, this occurred between uh, the time they got back from the house on the 25th to the uh, morning of the 26th. So they would have only had five days to get this money to them. Um, you will withdraw $118,000 from your account. 100000 will be in $100 bills and the remaining 18000 in 20 bills. Make sure that you bring... Uh, an etiquette size, uh, I don't know what word that says, to the bank. <laughs> when you get home, you put the money in a brown paper bag. I will call you between 8 and 10 a.m. tomorrow to instruct you on delivery. The delivery will be exhausting, so I advise you to be rested. If we monitor you getting the money early, we might call you early to arrange an earlier delivery of the money. And uh, I think that says have... It's kind of hard to read. Um, An earlier pickup of your daughter. My deviation of instructions will result in the immediate execution of your daughter. You will do all, or you also be advised, or something her remains for a proper burial. Uh, The two gentlemen watching over your daughter don't particularly like you, so I advise you not to provoke them. Speaking to anyone about your situation, such as, as police, FBI, etc., will result in your daughter being beheaded. If we catch you talking to a stray dog, she dies. If you alert bank authorities, she dies. If the money is in any way marked or tampered with, she dies. You will be scanned for electronic devices, and if any are found, she dies. You can try to deceive us, but be warned that we are familiar with law enforcement countermeasures and tactics. You stand a 99% chance of killing your daughter if you try to outsmart us. Follow our instructions and you stand a 100% chance of getting her back. You and your family are under constant scrutiny as well as the authorities. Don't try to grow a brain, John. You are not the only... I think that says... Fat owed around... Yeah, I don't know. Fat cat? Yeah, fat cat. Fat cat around. So don't think that killing will be difficult. 
Don't underestimate us, John. Use that good Southern common sense of yours. It is up to you now, John. Victory, SBTC. Um, if you, this, the note printed digitally is very much so hard to read, but if you look at the original letter, it looks almost as if someone's like trying not to distinctly use their handwriting, like yeah. kind of squiggling the letters a little bit, which makes it harder to read. A lot of words are misspelt. They also purpose. have a lot of crossing yeah. out as well. There's a lot of words misspelt, and I feel like whoever wrote the letter might have done it to make them look dumber than they were. But also with the note, like they only knew that the the paper came from the Ramsey house was because they started a letter and ripped it out. Yeah. So they found like the remains of a practice letter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they also like they say that it could have taken 20 to 30 minutes to write that whole ransom note especially since it's pretty clear that they were trying to mess with their own handwriting to make it not as, like, obvious or whatever. So they were spending 20 to 30 minutes inside the Ramsey house writing this ransom note. I feel like they should have been panicking since they are kidnapping a child, writing Maybe a ransom note. Maybe that's why it was so shaky because they yeah. were shaky or something. Yeah, it could have just been written really fast, like, and poorly on purpose. Yeah. At 6 a.m., police officer Rick French arrives and does a search. He goes through the entire house but stops at the wine cellar door and does not open it. Um, that early, Earlier that... Earlier? No. Early afternoon, Linda Arndt, the first detective to arrive, pulls John and Fleet White aside and tell them to do a top-to-bottom search, and John had found John Bonet in the wine cellar during this, picking her up and bringing her upstairs... She had looked to be strangled and her mouth and body covered in duct tape. During this, much evidence became tainted. So when John found her and just grabbed her screaming, going upstairs, taking her to the Christmas tree, taking off the duct tape, it's messing with all the evidence, all the physical evidence that could have been there. To be fair to John, though, like if you find your daughter dead in the cell, you're not going to be like, I got to go get the police. Like you're going to be like, holy shit, my daughter's dead. And, like, bring her upstairs. Like, he probably was in so much shock that he didn't even think about what could have happened. Yeah. And to be fair, like, if it if I didn't watch this other documentary, I'd been like, oh, that's so suspicious. But I think that a lot of things that happened that day were purely out of, like, a loss of what to do. Because they just, you know, what would you do if you found a ransom yeah. note saying that they were going to behead your daughter if you just made one wrong move? Like, yeah. I'd be terrified. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I believe that they didn't even read the full letter all the way. Because uh, when during the 911 call that Patsy made, they asked who left the letter. And she w- was, like, scanning, trying to figure out who wrote it. And she said, uh, I forget what it said at the bottom, but she said, like, the letters. And then she was like, that doesn't make sense. And moved up a line and said whatever it said there. So... It's possible they'd even notice that it said, like, you alert the authorities, we behead her. Uh, yeah, the uh, the news article I read, um, they reported her missing, whatever. Um, and it said if they called the authorities, she would die. Um, and they were all supposed to get a call that day between 8 and 10 a.m., and it never came. Yeah. Um, and... Apparently, it, I don't know if this is true, but apparently neither of the parents said anything. So if they didn't read yeah. the note, they probably didn't even know 
they're supposed to be getting a phone call. They were probably just like worried about the police figuring out what to do. Mm-hmm. But but once ten o'clock rolled around, no one said a word about the fact that the possible kidnappers didn't call. There was nothing heard at all. Yeah, and the other issue was not only obviously John picked up John, but um, they also had people coming over. People. Not even just their friends, but just people in general were coming over to see what was going on. Yeah. And in doing so, because the police didn't secure the scene, because in their defense, um, they didn't think that she was in the house. They were just looking for clues, which still doesn't make it okay to not secure the scene because there's still evidence in the house if she was missing. Yeah. Um, but to to be fair, they didn't think she was there. So, <laughs> um. People were coming and going, cleaning with with Patsy, which could just be a nervous habit. A lot of people clean when they don't know what's going on. It's a nervous yeah. thing for a lot of women. Um, but they were basically cleaning away any possible evidence, which could have tampered it even farther. But they did find a lot of evidence yeah. at the same time. So It also took them a while longer to actually find John Bonet because they did a couple searches before John actually found her. Every time they went towards the wine cellar, they stopped and never looked inside because it was locked. From what I understand, um, they did two searches. Um, I didn't hear anything about the door being locked, but they didn't search the back room because they're like, they didn't think she was there. They were just looking for evidence. And at that point, why would she be in a wine cellar? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, like, are they going to look for wine missing? Like, no, they're looking for a kid. Yeah. Um, So they didn't look in there. And that's when John went back there for whatever reason. Um, Which is why everything looks so suspicious towards the family. Yeah. Because there's not a lot of things that are in their favor that happened. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah. Um, Do you have more about the timeline? I don't have. I just Um, have a lot of others. Okay, yeah. I'll just keep going with the timeline and. You pop in. <laughs> okay. So at 10.45 p.m. that night, Boulder County Coroner's team had removed John Bonet's body. On December 28, 1996, the Ramsey family goes to Boulder Police Station to give hair, blood, and handwriting samples. Um, on December 29, 1996, days after the murder, the family flies back to their former town, Atlanta. Now, before this date, I think it might have been even the day of the murder, Police had to tell them, hey, you should not leave town right now because they were still like trying. He called his pilot and was like, hey, got to cancel that flight, you know. <laughs> um, on December 31st, 1996, John Bonet's funeral is held. She is buried in Moretta, Georgia, next to her older half-sister, whom died in a tragic car accident in 1992. About 200 friends and family attended her funeral. On January 1st, 1997, John and Patsy give a difficult 45-minute-long interview to CNN. While the police were reassuring the community there wasn't a murderer on the loose, but Patsy had said on live television, there is a killer on the loose. If I were a resident of Boulder, I would tell my friends to keep your babies close to you. There's someone out there. So that sent the Boulder community into a panic wondering like who who killed this girl like to be fair i would be fucking scared too oh yeah like someone just randomly dies in the neighborhood and they don't know who did it like yeah i'd be scared too my mom if this happened in my community my mom wouldn't even let me go outside no (laughs) she would be like stay away from the door don't even look at it (laughs) yeah (laughs) no one can come in or out um 
On January 2nd, 1997, a team of five detectives fly from Boulder to Atlanta. Investigators were shocked the Ramseys granted a TV interview since they had claimed to be too emotional to talk to the police. They denied having a full interview with the police, but they were completely okay with having a TV interview. Maybe it was because they had a little more time to calm down on their emotions. Um, On December, or not December, January 3rd, 1997, detectives announced that the ransom note was written inside the house, meaning it was likely written after the murder. We mentioned this earlier. The only reason they found this out was because um, they found the draft and it was written on a law pad that was in the kitchen and the pen also from the Ramsey house and it was put in back exactly where it belonged. The note was recorded to have taken 20 to 30 minutes to write, which, like I said, is quite a long time for to spend on a ransom note, especially since they did write it inside the house. If they wrote it beforehand, that would have been a little different. But again, that makes it a little more suspicious towards the Ramsom family. On January 6, 1997, John Bonet's former school reopens and the school board and teachers tried to explain to the children what happened in the widest way possible, but that's really hard to tell kids that their classmate was murdered and no one knows who did it. On January 8, 1997, evidence found that there may have been a practice note. Again, just went over that. On February 27, 1997, the alibi of John Andrew, John Bonet's half-brother, is re-examined even though he is he was already allegedly out of town. Um, John, John Ramsey had a previous marriage, so he does have a couple other children, and all of them were out of town at the night of the murder. On March 7, 1997, a handwriting analysis eliminates John from the writing, from writing the ransom, but there was still a chance Patsy did write the ransom. Um, on March 8, 1997, police searched the Ramsey's vacation home a second time, looking for unrehearsed writing samples to see if Patsy wrote the ransom note. So it honestly seems like the police themselves have some sort of bias, thinking that it had to have been Patsy or someone in the family which I can see why they wouldn't think it's an outside person because when they searched the property, there weren't any footsteps in the snow. There were forced entry spots where windows were shattered, but it was because John has a tendency to leave his keys, so he just goes around bashing windows to get back inside of his house. I'll touch on that later. Yeah. But <laughs> um, with the whole like police thing... Um, one thing that was noted when I was watching some of these documentaries was that um, they, the police, despite new evidence turned over, they like quickly shut down any other idea that it wasn't someone involved in the house. Yeah. So it almost seemed like they did have a bias towards the family because they refused to look at other outlets, which could have in turn made the killer get away. Um, yeah. And stopped any progression in the case. It, The police on this case kind of needed a push for them to stop looking at the ransom family and be like, it had to have been them. Like, it had to have been someone in the house. Like, there's no way it could have been an outsider. Which, like, I feel like considering, like, small pieces of evidence, it would have been like, no, that's no, that's impossible. But, like, it's still very possible. Because clearly, it wasn't proved to be them. 
they couldn't convict anyone. The DNA on Gemini did not result yeah. to anyone in the family. It didn't match anyone in the in their system. Apparently, like no, it didn't match anyone in their system, their criminal database. Even today, there's still no matches. Yeah, and it didn't match any of the family members. Yeah, so it physically could not have been them, and it's very hard to plant that kind of DNA where it was found. Yeah. By someone else. It's not like you could put a fingerprint on a on a gun and frame somebody. It's like DNA pulled from scratching or fighting back. That yeah, was found. Exactly. And even if it was an accidental murder, like the other stuff that the autopsy reports showed would make it even more messed up. Um on April 3rd, 1997, a second DNA test was done by Maryland Cellmark Laboratories. On April 19th, 1997, John and Patsy become pri- prime suspects, according to CNN. On April 30th, 1997, formal interviews are conducted with John for two hours and Patsy for six and a half hours. These statements replace their initial ones made right after the murder, there were small details that John and Patsy changed up during this interview, and a lot of people said that was very suspicious. Why are they changing their story? But in they got woken. Well, they woke up really early in the morning, find out their child was kidnapped, they're, and they're freaking out. Their memory's going to be a little messed up. Especially with, like, depending on who you are as a person, trauma and very... Um, high emotional states can cause blackouts in memory and a lot of times people have trouble recalling what happened because they enter this kind of um, like blackout phase or where they kind of disassociate for a while to kind of cope with the extreme amounts of anxiety experienced. Yeah and we also don't know like if Patsy or John had any like mental illnesses that could have played a part into them forgetting what happened as well. it's, It's hard to be like I don't I wouldn't be that way in their position because you don't know what it's like until something like this happens to you. And a lot of people don't know what to do in these situations. There's a lot of people who, you know, um, just if you think that you could have handled this situation better, just look at Mm -hmm. very famous cases in history. Um, Kitty Genevieve, just look at that case and see how many people didn't act. Yeah, it's easy to say that you do something someone else wouldn't do. But until you're in their footsteps, it's hard to say you do something. Um, before I continue, I'm going to put out a trigger warning. We've already talked about some pretty graphic stuff, but the following includes sexual assaults, child pornography, graphic details, etc. On May 2nd, 1997, Patsy and John talk to local press along with Nine News. John stumbles over his daughter's name and addresses rumors of John Bonet being sexually molested, calling them most hurtful innuendos, and Patsy says, I'm appalled that anyone would think that John or I would be involved with such a hideous and heinous crime, but let me be assure you I did not kill John Bonet. And for some reason, that made people suspicious with the fact that she said, I did not kill her. I don't know. I don't How know. many times do you have to tell people that you didn't kill your own daughter yeah, before exactly. people finally think it's not you? Yeah, and... They found other DNA on her, stuff that any human that has their own child would not be able to physically do to their own child uh, happened to John Bonet. Um, plus, there's a lot of other people that they should have paid more attention to, considering um, before she was murdered, I forget who 
who she told this to, but it was like a family friend or something. She told that Santa Claus was going to make a surprise visit after Christmas. Which, oh no, I know who this is. Yeah. He's he's not suspicious. Yeah, I promise. No. I I went over the theory. I we'll go over it. <laughs> On uh, May 14th, 1997, sources report that DNA results have no surprises, and it's not specified what that means. They just came out and said, yeah, there's no surprises with the DNA results, whether that means, yeah, we could only find the family member's DNA, or we couldn't tie it to someone like the DNA that they did find on JonBenet wasn't registered to anyone. I wonder if they mean, like, there was no, like, new noted details. Yeah. Like, there's nothing surprising in this. Like, yeah. there's no it's just newly noted things. It's yeah. just They were DNA. just really vague when they came out about it. Goddamn, people before the 2000s, we gotta get our shit together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, on July 12th, 1997, John Panay's belongings are moved to Atlanta, Georgia. On July 14th, 1997, autopsies reports are released and they confirm a deep ligature around the victim's neck and another around the right wrist. Evidence found she was bound and strangled with blood and abrasions found in the girl's vaginal area and was struck on the head violently enough to cause bleeding and an eight and a half inch skull fracture. Um, it was also found that she had marks across her body, body that were similar to a stun gun. God damn it, stop ruining my surprises. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I didn't know that there, until I, read, I watched one of the documentaries. There was a lot of stuff that, because I. There's a lot of stuff they kept from the public. Yeah. Specifically. Like, the stun gun marks was not, like, super public knowledge. Yeah. Like, there was a lot of info that really made it seem like it was supposed to be a kidnapping that went wrong. Oh, yeah. And they still blame the Ramses for that. And I just, like, it doesn't make sense to me at that point. Like, there's so yeah. much evidence proving that the family couldn't have done it, even though there's a lot of suspicion. Like, I get it. Someone wrote a ransom note in their house. That's kind of fucking weird, right? Like, yeah. you wouldn't come prepared. Like, you go pulling out a notepad. Like, what should we write? Yeah. Dude, I'm dealing with the kid. What am I, what, what do you want me to do? Well, I, I, I got, got the, the kid. kid. <laughs> Just write the, we got the kid. Just, just write, we got the kid. How are they supposed to know about the money? Just write, we got the kid. We got the kid. <laughs> Give me money. Um. Anyway, <laughs> on January 15th, 1998, Ramses refused to interview with the police. I feel like that isn't suspicious at this point. They've done a lot of interviews with the police. It's John did a two hour interview. It's almost a year yeah. after the, the murder. What, what else? more do they have yeah. to say? There's not really more questions that they can ask them at this point. There's no more information they can give them. They don't even know what happened because it occurred while they were sleeping. Yeah, it What happened, the fuck were they supposed yeah. to say? Like, oh, I might have heard a bump in the night, but I think I was just yeah. dreaming. And also, <laughs> I think a neighbor said that they heard a scream. Oh, but, but you, didn't, you didn't call the police? Yeah, they, okay. it was after like... I forget if it was after yeah the police asked her after everything came out like oh John Bonet was murdered in her Colorado home and was found in the wine cellar and then the neighbor was like oh yeah I heard a scream in the middle of the night but there's no way that this giant house you would have been able to hear a scream from the wine cellar inside a house next over also a very large house and her mouth was duct taped so. yeah so I mean she could still physically scream with duct tape on her mouth, but it's not going to be loud enough for anyone even in that house to hear her. Yeah. Because why would you try to kidnap a child while the family's sleeping and not duct tape the mouth first? Why yeah. would that not be the first thing you do? Yeah. I mean, I'm not like a, a like expert child kidnap kidnapper, child. <laughs> but <laughs> like if I were to kidnap somebody, that would be the first thing I would do is somehow make them not make noise and then restrain them. Yeah. 
Which is probably what they did. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> no one woke up. Yeah. On January 29th, 1998, two months after requested, the parents hand over the clothes that they were wearing the night of the crime. Two shirts, a pair of pants, and a sweater. And I really wonder what what could these clothes really provide it's at this point? It's already been washed. Yeah, it's been Why washed. They this take is it the two months night. after. Yeah, they should have asked, like, I guess they did request a while ago, but, like, Giving it at this point, there's no point. It's not going to have any DNA yeah, on it. It's going to be point. like, even yep, if, this is what they wore. But even if it had her DNA on it, they're her fucking parents. Yeah. So, like, what is that going to prove? Unless there's blood. Yeah. Which doesn't necessarily come out of clothing that well, you wouldn't find any new DNA on there that yeah. would be relevant to the case. At that point, you're just trying to make it ha- make it make sense. <laughs> yeah, they're trying to. I feel like them asking for the clothes is like trying to find a way to like tie them to the crime. I'm like, hello, they were their parents, so, like, her DNA might be on there. There's a very good chance. Yeah. Um, on March 12, 1998, investigators formally call a grand jury investigation since 15 months after the murder. On June 3, 1998, Mark Beckner, the case's lead investigator, says there are significant results from the 1,058 pieces of evidence collected. He didn't specify what the results were. He just said they were significant. So. And then on June 10th to June 12th, 1998, Burke, now 11, he was nine at the time of the murder, uh, is questioned for the first time. I believe it was also done secretly. Uh, But again, what is a kid who was supposed to be asleep gonna tell you about something that happened two years ago yeah and i feel like also like a lot of people didn't believe that burke was asleep because they went over the 911 recording and they said they heard john burke and patsy all in the call but like i've heard it a million times and i'm like you can't hear anything in the background you hear patsy like maybe put the phone and walk away and like saying like Please help me, God. But that's all the only thing you can really make out. You can't be like, oh, yeah, you can hear Burke clearly say, what did you do? And that's what a lot of people say they can hear. But I feel like that could be because someone you want, said. You want it. Yeah. It's like when you're watching Ghost Adventures and they're like, we think it says this. And then you're reading it as it's being said. Yeah. So you already know what you think the recording's supposed to say. And you hear it because you're wanting to hear that. Yeah, exactly. But if you're just listening to it objectively and not trying to pinpoint anything you're not going to hear it no not at all it's a mind game it everything about this is just them trying to pin this i feel like the police were definitely biased uh john was known in that area he had a lot of money it it's possible he could have hurt small businesses in the process of being a multi-millionaire and maybe the police the people in the police force had some bias towards him and wanted to point fingers at him um on august 6 1998 detective steve thomas writes an eight-page resignation later letter saying hunter's office has crippled the investigation since elements have been thoroughly compromised so this is the first person to resign because of this case On August 19th, 1998, Fleet White requests someone other than Hunter to be assigned to the case. So multiple people have thought that this person in charge of the case should not be the person in charge because it's not being handled properly, nor was it handled properly from the start of this case. 
On August 20th, 1998, Burke's voice is reportedly heard in the background of a 911 call, like I just said. So there were a handful of people that did not believe the parents when they said, oh, yeah, Burke was asleep. And they woke Burke up while the police were in the house. The police were already there, already did a first search, and then they woke up Burke at, like, 10 o'clock. Um, and then on September 15th, 1998 grand jury starts their investigation on september 24th 1998 homicide detective lou smith quits and states in his resignation letter a very dangerous killer is still out there this gives ramses the fuel to convince other authorities to shift focus so finally the authorities might actually shift focus and stop focusing on the ramses because yes it might have been possible that the ramses did do it there's not a good chance but, again, looking at the whole case objectively, you need to look at all the options and who could have possibly done it. On October 13th, 1998, the grand jury starts hearing case, learning, starts hearing case, learning of forensic evidence like DNA, hair, and fibers from the scene, and they also tour the family's Boulder home, and this is years after the murder already happened, so I don't know why they even went through the home, because what else are they going to find? They've probably cleaned the house a hundred times. They already had over a thousand pieces of evidence at this point. Yeah, (laughs) what else do you need to tour that house for? On October 20th, 1998, two stories in the National Enquirer had I can never say this word. Anonymously. Yeah. Uh, Sources saying John believe photographer Stefan Miles killed John Bonet. John goes back to Colorado to face Miles in a civil case. (laughs) We needed a little bit of a water break, so I'm just not used (laughs) to talking this much. (laughs) I was also talking all day at work, like, I'm a chatterbox, you know. Um, Anyway, (laughs) on December 3rd, 1998, almost two years after the killing, DNA evidence is requested of five Ramsey members, though they are not suspects. Now they're not suspects because two people have resigned saying, hey, you need to focus on someone other than someone inside the Ramsey family. And they did get the DNA from all five of these family members, but none of them matched the DNA that was found on John Bonet's long jumps. On... January 28th, 1999, a Santa Claus teddy was found in John Bonet's room. Investigators looked into the manufacturer and where it was sold. Why that was relevant, I have no idea. But they're like, hey, she has that. Maybe it could tie, her, tie it to the killer. She wasn't even found with it. Yeah, She was exactly. found with a blanket. Yeah. And she was found in her, her blanket that she slept with. Yeah. So this clearly means she was taken from her bedroom. And if that was important, it would have been taken with her, wouldn't it not? Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, she has this teddy bear in her room. Maybe we should check that out. No, no, that's not relevant. I'm sorry. On March 18th, 1999, Arndt resigns due to all the criticism. There was a lot of criticism towards her on her part because at one point she was the only detective in the house in charge of not only the whites, but also everyone in the Ramseys. And at one point, John was gone for 40 minutes, unaccounted for checking the mail. And she could not keep a hold of everyone in the house. Maybe he was just having a mental breakdown outside. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know. You can't just assume that he was like, 
especially if it was him, why would they make it look so messy? Like they wouldn't get that much DNA if this was like orchestrated. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> it, w- it would be clean. It would be way more suspicious. There wouldn't be as much evidence and there wouldn't be any there DNA. There were also things found in their house that weren't theirs. Yeah. So what is, what's not making sense about this? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, on May 19th, 1999, Burke, now 12, is secretly questioned and is officially declared a witness, not a suspect. So this now 12-year-old boy is finally considered not a suspect when he shouldn't have been considered a suspect He's in the first 12 place. Years old. He was nine at the time of the crime and asleep. So why, what? Technically, they're all witnesses, though. Yeah. Because they were all there when she died, but yeah. none of them saw it. Yeah. Because they were asleep. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how, how they're qualified as a witness if they didn't see anything or hear anything. And also, if something happened in a wine cellar all the way in the basement of the house, and she was restrained and duct taped so you couldn't hear her, what made, even if they were awake for like to go to the bathroom or something, what makes them think that they would have heard anything? Yeah. There's no way they could have heard her. On September 13th, 1999, during an interview on Good Morning America, Arndt says she knows who killed John Bonet, but won't say who. No, no further explanation. This detective just says, "Yeah, I know who did it, but I'm not going to tell you." I feel like either I feel like she didn't know who killed John Bonet. No one knows who. No killed one John knows. Who They've been trying to figure this out since 1996, and they still can't figure yeah. out. All the leads are either messier than they were. The people are dead, or the DNA doesn't match. Yeah, exactly. On September 30th, 1999, one day after my birth, um, <laughs> John, Andrew, and Melinda, both uh, s- not step, uh, half siblings of John Bonet, testify in front of the grand jury. Even being so, they were still out of town at the night of the murder and are not considered suspects. On October 13th, 1999, Hunter says there isn't sufficient sufficient evidence to charge anyone with the murder there is a lot of evidence but there wasn't enough to tie anyone to the crime then on march 17th 2000 john and patsy released their book the death of innocence about what occurred on may 24th 2000 john and patsy hold a news conference conference and announced lie detector tests confirmed their innocence but tests were not run by the fbi and not acceptable to investigators i don't even know why lie detector tests are still allowed they're not reliable they're not it measures your bodily sensations which can happen if you're nervous and even if you are nervous going into it it can make you seem suspicious it doesn't verify if you're lying or not it's not like oh oh I, I detect I detect a lie. I hear it in your yeah. voice. It's like, sir, I have anxiety. No, it's measuring <laughs> your heart rate. It's measuring your sweat. It's measuring all of the things that sometimes you can't control. Yeah. And even if you can make a person who's not guilty seem guilty if you can manipulate the test. And people who are guilty have manipulated the test. It is a very unreliable system. Oh, yeah. And the fact that it's still used today is just baffling. I don't believe they did, but I... Uh, but if they put Ted Bundy, for example, in a lie detector test, there's, I'm certain he would have passed. There's no way. All you have to do is remain calm and you'll yeah. pass it if, every time. If you're t- dealing with a sociopath, there's no way they're going to fail a lie detector test. They don't experience emotion and they're not going to get nervous. Um, moving on. On 
June 24th, 2006, Patsy passes away at 49 due to ovarian cancer. She was diagnosed in 1993 with stage four. She lived a long time for being diagnosed with stage four. It was a 14 years... I'm I'm not good at math, but most I, people with stage four die like within a year yeah. max. Yeah. So the fact that she got that long is yeah. It, she awesome. was yeah. On June 29th, 2006, Patsy is buried next to John Bonet and Moretta Georgia. I really hope I didn't pronounce that wrong. But <laughs> on September 12th, 2016, after 20 years. Burke sits down with Dr. Phil and was reported to say twice it was probably some pedophile in the pageant audience. I don't know why they sat him down with Dr. Phil because I'm pretty sure Dr. Phil isn't even a certified doctor. He's not a police officer. He's not an investigator. And I... The show's staged. Yeah. Yeah. And I watched part of it and he straight up asked Burke, like, did you kill your sister? And even if he was the person that killed killed her... Why would he confess on television after keeping a secret for 20 years, possibly? I don't think it's logical that you'd be like, oh, hey, I, I, I'm Dr. Phil. Are you going to tell me if you murdered your little sister back in 1996? It's, he just wasn't, he was off the grid for a really long time. And then they bring him back and they're like, hey, let's talk about this murder. Did you do it? Why would you want to be in the spotlight after yeah. all this happened? Like, you yeah. just want to be out of the whole area yeah, at exactly. that point. Like, you would just be done with the media. And people assumed that Burke did it since People, this like, started. tortured this family. Yeah. Like, they were, they couldn't grieve properly either. Oh. I mean, they were constantly on the media. They were constantly in the eyes of the public. And the police weren't helping. So, what are they supposed to do? And they also, like, said that... Burke seemed extra suspicious since when she was four, he hit her upside the head with a golf club, which children do that to their siblings. I've seen (laughs) kids like hit each other with like really hard objects. Yeah. And it's not a sign of like, like them being a psychopath. It's just them not caring and wanting to hit their siblings. They have no emotional regulation. It's yeah. I've dropped (laughs) both my siblings on their head. I, what two of my coworkers, they're twins. Uh, they told me a story about how he hit his sister in the head with an axe. Not not a real axe, but, like, he hit her in that head. Like, it's normal for siblings to hit each other. But talking more about that, uh, Patsy had John Bonet go through facial surgery to get rid of the scar to not mess with her beauty pageant history. Huh. Just a small little interesting thing. That's about, like, all we have for the timeline. Do you want to get into your theories before I yeah. get into more modern yeah. day stuff? Okay. Okay. So I have uh, a couple theories about who possibly could have done it. Um, we're going to start with the most common theories that everyone seems to believe. First off, we have Patsy, although both her and her husband were exoner- exoner- exonerated. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say it right. In 2008, thanks to developments in the DNA technology, many suspect that the former Miss West Virginia accidentally killed her daughter in a pit of rage over a bedwetting incident and then covered up post-haste. Uh, several pieces of evidence suggest she may have had more to do with the crime than she let on, but I feel like that's just because she was nervous and maybe like her brain was going all haywire since she just realized her daughter was either missing or murdered. 
Um, John Bonet was found with a rope around her neck tightened by a homemade garret determined to be made from one of Patsy's paintbrushes. So that somehow tied her to the crime. Um, John Bonet did have a history of wetting the bed, so I guess it was a normal reoccurrence. They said that it's possible that Patsy got mad, hit, pushed John Bonet, hit her head on the bathtub, and then fashioned a whole garret to make it look like someone else did it, which I just don't think is logical. And then we have John. When police arrived on Christmas Day, they found no footsteps leading to the house, though through the snow for a possible intruder, which if it snows, even if you step into the snow, it doesn't take that long for it to be gone. Like, it's really easy for footsteps to disappear in the snow. I don't even know if it snowed the day, the night before either. I think, like, it was literally just snow that was already on the ground. It's Colorado. Yeah. I mean, even if it did snow, there would still be some indentation. But whatever. (laughs) Um, when Detective Arndt asked John and Fleet White to check the house for anything unusual, John made a beeline to the wine cellar where he immediately found her and carried her upstairs, removing the duct tape on her, destroying vital physical evidence. Now it's possible he went straight there because he's like, this is the only place that someone hasn't checked. Let me check my wine cellar. And then that's when he found her. And he might have thought, like, that's an entrance from the back of the house as well. Like, maybe someone got in through there. Yeah. Even, like, though the door may be locked, it's possible someone could have snuck in there. And also, like, say... They killed John Bonet inside the house, which apparent it definitely seems like that. They could have thrown her in there, locked the door, and left. So yeah. then no one would have looked there. Um, and then, or they locked the door so that no one could get in and they had time to escape if something went wrong. Yeah. I mean, yeah. anything could have happened. And then we have Burke. During his 2016 interview with Dr. Phil, he was grinning during Dr. Phil's questions about the night. Um, it is suggested that Burke went to the kitchen for a late night snack, pineapple, because there was one piece of pineapple found in her stomach that would have had to been eaten not very long before her death since it wasn't digested at all. <clears throat> when John Bonet took a piece in a fit of rage, Burke grabbed a nearby flashlight and hit her, which according to autopsy reports fit the eight and a half skull fracture. It wasn't their flashlight. Though. Yeah. So how would you have had the flashlight? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, like they found the flashlight in the kitchen, and they're like, "Oh yeah, Burke did it. He found this flashlight. That's not or theirs." Or maybe John Bonet was getting a midnight snack. The intruder saw her, hit her with the flashlight, yeah. duct tape her mouth, and dragged her downstairs. Yeah, exactly. That, they that have sounds even, way more possible. They wouldn't have even had to go upstairs and risk the family hearing them. Yeah, I feel like that is the most reasonable like, thought about it, like, yeah, she probably snuck downstairs in the middle of the night, wanted pineapple, because it was said that the only person in her family that ate pineapple was her, and then they were like, ah, kidnapper, boom, and then took her downstairs, and then everything happened. Um, She also had marks on her body similar to a stun gun, which matched Burke's train set, which it's possible an intruder took Burke's train set and hit her with the train. Like, it's also possible it was a real stun gun. The fact is that there were just marks on her body similar to a stun gun, and they were trying to tie someone to the crime, and they're like, hey, How does a here's train the child. Set match a 
stun gun. Because I guess it was like the width of it. And if you were to like stab someone with that or like hit someone with the edge of the train, it would leave. But I feel like it would be a completely different type of mark. Well, if you hit someone hard enough for it to leave a mark with something that could have been potentially sharp, wouldn't it have pierced pierced the skin? Yeah. Whereas stun guns just lay over the top. I think it's possible it was just a stun gun. Like I someone do too, came because in- why would you want to make noise? Yeah. Someone came into the house, saw John Bonet having a snack, took their flashlight, hit her in the head, dragged her downstairs. She woke up. Or stunned her and then it, yeah. she didn't pass out. Maybe they freaked out and hit her over the head. I don't yeah. know. I mean, it, it's not like you're having so much confidence stealing a kid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <clears throat> and then next I have a school teacher. In 2006, former school teacher John Mark Carr confessed out of the blue to the 1996 strangulation to John Bonet in graphic sexual detail. So this is the only person that confessed to the crime. I have this written down too. Okay. Um, Carr was arrested in Thailand where he was living after facing child pornography charges. He was then flown out to Boulder for questioning, but he was cleared after his DNA failed to match the profile of an unknown man found on the waistband of John Bonet's long johns. He ultimately was written off as a pe- pedophile after notoriety and fame. So this is a guy that just heard about everything and was like, yeah, I want, I want attention. Maybe they'll do a story about me. It's very possible, though, that he could have been part of it, but didn't actually touch her. Yeah, he could have been there. He could have watched it. But, so, basically, what happened with this man and how he confessed was, um, it happened in 2006. So, this is 10 years after the murder. Mm. Um, and there was an undercover journalist that was talking to him. And he was exchanging emails with him, talking to him, trying to get him to talk about his deep, dark shit that he was into. Um, and... He sent a letter basically confessing. And this journalist was on him for a while. Like, he was pretending to be interested in it and Mm -hmm. whatever, being a weirdo like he was. And he said that in his letter or in his email that he um, was in love with JonBenet. They had similar writing. And he hit her in the head with a flashlight. And he used Patsy's nickname in the um, email, which not a lot of people knew. So they didn't know how he possibly could have known it. Um, and the DNA was not found on the scene, but he said he didn't act alone and was in Georgia at the time of death. So there's no way he could have been there in general. Um, so it could have just been maybe like a weird fantasy he had and just kind of twisted it. I don't know. Um, (laughs) uh, but regardless, he's just a very strange man. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this guy is a known pedophile. It's possible he like imagined what it would have been like to be the perpetrator of this crime. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last one I have is the town Santa. Big, uh, Bill McReynolds was a friend of the Ramses who had dressed up as Santa Claus the week before the murder to entertain neighborhood children. Um, at one of, this was at one of Patsy's famous Christmas gatherings that she threw every single year. McReynolds was rumored to have paid a little too much attention to John Bonet, going as far as to arrange a secret visit from Santa Claus on Christmas. 
Supposedly, he had chosen John Bonet to be his special friend, going so far to bring a vial of glitter gifted to him from her uh, into heart surgery. Even stranger, he asked his wife to mix the gold glitter with his ashes when he were to die. Okay, so listen, before we go into that, um, Mick Reynolds, I believe, was picturing John Bonet to be his daughter because yeah. his daughter was kidnapped in 1974. Um, he lost a daughter and he probably never really recovered from it. <laughs> I mean, how do you recover from losing a child? Mm-hmm. Especially if one reminds you so much of the yeah. kid you lost. Um, and I'm guessing that's why he dressed up as Santa as well, because he doesn't have a kid to be able to do this for. So, you know, I, I think people really kind of pushed the whole like he's creepy he dressed up as santa he wants john bonnet like i don't think yeah, that was it and at it's all. also <laughs> possible that like i totally think it's very possible he thought of her as a daughter in all of the years he's played as santa john bonnet was the only one to give him a gift too yeah he was the only one who ever gave a gift to santa that he and all the years he dressed up and yeah. that meant so much to him and i'm guessing especially if she reminded him of his daughter like it just touched him in a different way yeah. and he was really upset about her murder because he saw her literally two days before she died mm-hmm. and i'm guessing it just really hurt him and since he reminded she reminded him so much of his daughter it probably just sparked a lot in him and brought up unwanted feelings and you know, I mean, it's not that weird bringing something that reminds you of your daughter into surgery. Yeah. <laughs> the ashes is a little weird, but I yeah, mean. that That's just like. But again, if you he, yeah. if you lost your daughter, how would you act if you saw someone so similar to your daughter and yeah. touched you in a way that no one else has? Like, are you really going to blame an old man for wanting to just have that connection he lost? Yeah, exactly. Um, And even worse is there's literally like no ties to him in the murder um the only thing that made him suspicious was the fact that he saw her before she died but again it was christmas and he was santa yeah (laughs) and also there were thousands of people coming in and out of the ramsey house because of the parties there was also though the only other thing that tied him which isn't even related to him to the murder was his wife wrote some kind of script or like playwright and it was very similar to the way John Bonet died. But again, you know, it doesn't mean that he laid out his wife's manuscripts. Like, yeah. <laughs> like it just, it just is weird coincidence. I mean, how many, how many times have you watched law and order in the same episode basically plays with different characters? Yeah. Right. Like it, it's possible. It is just a very unfortunate coincidence. Yeah. Um, but there's literally no other ties to him in the murder. So there's no way he's guilty. And again, wasn't matched to the DNA found on her. It's just, it's, people are just fucked up. Um, I get that we want justice for John Bonet, but accusing people who have already suffered <laughs> in their yeah. own life and then bringing up this and accusing them when there's no ties to them is just, it's cruel. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I saw these... Um, on the on the BuzzFeed Unsolved. And they had one other person who at the time I thought was really weird. <laughs> but uh, his name was Gary Olivia. And when he was arrested, um, I forget what he was arrested for, but they found a photo of John Bonet in his backpack. And he said he wanted to build like a memorial or like shrine for her because his her death touched him. Um, and 
a friend had said that he called and said he heard a little girl. And when he asked him where and what he did, he said it was, she was from Boulder, Colorado. Um, and then he hung up. Um, he wasn't in town at the time, I believe, either. Um, but they thought it was weird because of the phone call and also um, the strangulation marks, which, again, if you strangle somebody, it's going to look similar. <laughs> yeah. Um, he attempted to smother his mother with a phone cord, and uh, it was similar to the marks on Jaminet, but, again, whatever. But there was no DNA match. So, like, yeah, he was a weirdo, but, like, so what? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't automatically make him the murderer. Yeah. It's also very possible. It's just someone that would go to all of these pageants and was an audience and became obsessed with John Bonet. Um, one podcast I listened to about it and it kind of like, ugh, I did not like the way they phrased it, but they said that John Bonet would be a pedophile's dream come true. Well, th- it's true because yeah. they're pageant kids. Like yeah. they are the child version of what beauty queens grow up to be they're classically made to look beautiful yeah and also a lot of people blame patsy for john bonnet's fate because they she exposed john bonnet to the pageant community she only did that because she did it in her past and she wanted her daughter to follow in her footsteps yeah. that is a very typical pageant mother thing it yeah. is not her fault she couldn't have ever predicted someone killing her yeah daughter. Just because you're in pageants doesn't mean you're destined to die. Do I necessarily agree with no. flaunting your child? No. But is it wrong at the same time? No. <laughs> like, yeah. if the kid wants to do it and the mom is supportive and the parents want, like, support their kid, what's the harm? Yeah, and clearly John Bonet loved it. She always wanted to be in parades. Like, she loved being in the center of tension. From what I understand, the people only backlashed Patsy because she seemed very narcissistic when she wrote uh, in their book. But at the same time, if you were a beauty queen, wouldn't you kind of be a little narcissistic if yeah. you won Miss West Virginia? <laughs> like At 20 years old in 1977. Like, come on. If yeah. you're hot and you want a beauty pageant, like, yeah. wouldn't you be a little narcissistic that's, too? That's, she has bragging rights. Because she won a pageant, and that that's... It would be different if she forced JonBenet to do it. Yeah. But it didn't seem like it was forced. No. It seemed like she wanted the best outcome for JonBenet, but it didn't seem like she was forcing her to do it against her will, which would have been a completely different story. Yeah. Because <laughs> if she was being forced to do these beauty pageants, I feel like it would have been apparent in her performance. Yeah. But, uh, you know, she genuinely enjoyed it, so... um. <clears throat> This documentary I watched, it was absolutely amazing. Um, it's on Hulu, and it's called it's from Annie, um, and it was called Hunting Jamine's Killer, the Untold Story or something like that. Um, and it's about an hour and a half, um, and they go basically, they're still trying to figure out their murder. Um, I don't know how old this documentary is. It was recent though, <laughs> um, because they mentioned how Jamine would be twenty eight years old, and that's pretty much the same timeline as right now because yeah. she's only. She was six in 96 when she died. So she's born in the 90 in 1990. So she's only eight years older than me. So she would be 30. So it was only like yeah. two years ago. Um, anyway, <laughs> so um, this follows an FBI agent who is going back over evidence, following a new lead that they got. And it also opened up a bunch of other um, routes they could take with this. But um, I think some of the data is n- kind of 
unfinished Mm -hmm. (laughs) um from what they talked about um it was again it was an awesome documentary um they talked with uh dr henry lee who originally did a bunch of the forensics for the case um and he talked about it with him and went over it uh he went over the police files again and they really took this seriously and it was really cool to watch um but basically they go through the initial um profile i guess on the case and um, this is when he's, uh, they, this is when he was talking to Dr. Henry Lee. Um, and he was talking about how, uh, police claim pleaded two searches and didn't find her, uh, that John moved her body upstairs, which could have been potential contamination. Um, he also talked about how people tended to call John the Iceman because he showed no emotions towards it, but it is a, uh, reaction to trauma which you can't really blame him for. He did talk. John is in this documentary as well. Um, They have have a woman come in, a journalist, and talk to him about the theories and the day and everything that happened. And it, it, you can see on his face that it's still hard for him to talk about. He talks about how he never read the police report because it was too hard to read about his little girl. Oh, yeah. Um, That he still pictures her to be the six-year-old little girl and just, like, a bunch of really sad stuff. Um. And, you know, he's seen a lot of different theories, a lot of different suspects. There's a ton of people they've tested and throughout the years. He's just probably so, like, wanting it to be over <laughs> at this point. He's yeah. kind of told, he's co- he's talked about how he's kind of accepted that it might never be solved um, because it's been so long. Um, but And so many people are still convinced that there's no way it could be anyone besides someone inside the family so that just makes it harder to even they've talked about it like he's like i know people still think we did it like yeah i can't change their minds and how can you when the media's pushed it on them so much um and the police obviously are no other the police aren't helpful either so no (laughs) um how can you change the the public's mind after so many years you know yeah um so they should have started off looking at the case very objectively. I feel like they just started off being like, It's okay. hard when it's a kid. It, yeah. It's hard. It brings up a lot of emotions in people. And if you can't remain objective, you shouldn't be on the case. Yeah. But regardless, they they messed up. And they, yeah. it, it hurt the family even more in the process. And I um, also believe the only person trained in homicide in Boulder, Colorado, was out of town and on vacation. So everyone else dealing with this homicide case was not properly trained. They should have brought in other people, yeah. but regardless. Um, so this is where he kind of talks about different theories about things that happened. And he mentions that there was an alley behind the house that connected um, a row of houses, but it was obviously off the street. And it would explain why there were no footprints found in front of the house. Um, and there were marks of entry found at the window well in the basement and it's where John Bonet was found. Yeah. So um they talk about how they went through the alley and then went in through the window well. And that would mean that they were undetected, they weren't on the street, and that's why there's no evidence of entry anywhere else. Um they found a suitcase besides like the obvious like entry marks, like scuff marks getting in the house. Um they found this suitcase and It was by the window. It was, like, directly under the window. And there were fibers that were found inside the suitcase from the clothes that JonBenet was wearing that day. Mm -hmm. So he's like, how did the fibers get in that suitcase? Like, 
what's going on. And yeah. um, they really think that it was a kidnapping attempt that went wrong. Um, and they might have tried to stuff her in the suitcase in case, you know. I mean, she was small enough. She was six years old. So the suitcase was pretty big. I mean, you know, we've all seen the lovely bones. Yeah. We know that she got shoved in a safe. Yeah. Like, you can make a body fit if you want to make it fit. Um, so if they attempted to, you know, it would make sense. They wouldn't be able to see a child walking with two strange men. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, then they also discussed the two burn marks that were found on her lower left back and face from the stun gun. Um, because they they match a stun gun. Like, it, there's no other thing it could be. Yeah. It's identical to a stun gun. And when I looked at it, I was like, oh, my God, it looks like a stun gun. Because it looks like vampire marks. And vampire marks look like stun guns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, they also found that she was strangled with a weird rope that wasn't found in the home that they didn't own. So it's obvious it wasn't the Ramses because why would yeah. you buy a random rope and bring it in to kill your daughter? Um, the flashlight that wasn't theirs was also found on their counter and a high-tech shoe print was found by the body. And there were also two sets of footprints in the basement. So it means that there were two people at least involved. Yeah. Um, they knew... Um, after two and a half weeks that the DNA came from one single source and none of it was the family. Um, and there are a lot of theories that were made that it was somebody from the pageants that was watching her. Mm -hmm. Um, because they're public. I mean, you can't stop people from coming in. They're public. Yeah. Right. Um, so it's very possible. So this is where we get into the big inspiration for the documentary was a woman named Bernice Johnson was in a detention center in Colorado. She was arrested on the attempt on her husband at the times. Well, I don't know if it was her husband. It, they had a daughter together, <laughs> but she attempted to kill him. And I don't remember why. Um, it wasn't really important to the documentary, but um, she was sending a bunch of letters saying that she knew who killed John Benny Ramsey. And obviously they take leads seriously because you know, someone from Colorado saying that they knew JonBenet and they have links to JonBenet. Yeah. They're going to take it seriously. Um, and <clears throat> she said it was a man named Tom Fuse. And this man, they had a daughter named Cinnamon together. And he obviously was at the pageants that Cinnamon was in. And uh, they were at some of the same pageants that JonBenet was in because it goes certain age to certain age. And usually, you know, it's like babies, uh, toddlers, and then, like, young girls up to, like, 10 or 12 or whatever, yeah. and then onward. Um, and she said that one time they were at a pageant, he, she caught him leaning against a door and frame where older girls were changing. And she was like, hey, dude, uh, that's kind of weird. What would you do if that was cinnamon? Like, yeah. why are you doing this? And he got really pissed. He got aggressive. And just really strange, really quickly. Um, Todd also bragged how easy houses were to break into and that he could key any lock, um, basically saying that it would be very easy to get into a house. Um, That's a really weird thing to brag about. Yeah. <laughs> and even weirder, um, in the weeks prior to her death, he told Bernice that he was going to come into a large sum of money. Um, and he put a very expensive uh, truck on hold at a dealership 
and he could not afford it. <laughs> okay. So uh, she was like, uh, okay. Um, and he would talk obsessively about this. And so he it fell through, and uh, it just kind of got brushed off. Um, and then this is where this, the next theory comes in. Um, and she believes that he had help from a man named Michael Helgoth, who... Um, was also on the radar for the murder. Um, he worked in a junkyard. Um, and at the time, uh, when the investigation was happening, the FBI put out a press conference that basically was kind of putting pressure on the potential killers because the, it's a tactic they use. Um, if you watch like police shows, it's very common. Um, it's where they will basically say they have evidence and they know who it is. And, you know, like, either turn yourself in or we'll come for you. Like, just basically saying that they have evidence to prove it was them. And if they want a lighter sentence or if they want, yeah, you know, them to go easy on them, they'll give them time to turn them in. And two things will either happen. Someone will turn them in, give up the other partner, or someone will wind up dead. And that's exactly what happened. <laughs> um, he wounds up being found dead a day after this conference. Okay. Um, in the crime scene photos, there was a stun gun by his body and high-tech boots. And um, these were sent to the Ramsey family by one of his friends because they believed that he could have done it. And they turned it over to the police and they quickly were like, no, 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 that's the wrong side. It, it can't possibly be them. <laughs> so they He's quickly refused it. And they made that obvious in, in the documentary that the police were very quick to shut it down, that any outside uh, recommendation other than the Ramses would have been looked at seriously. Yeah. Um, so they uh, they said it was the wrong size, which, whatever. Uh, Bernice said that Todd used to bring her to the junkyard where uh, Michael worked and said they seemed chummy. <laughs> and uh, friend John Kennedy said that Michael always wanted to know what it would feel like to smash in a human skull. And his favorite flashlight supposedly went missing. Huh. Look at that. Um, Michael also mentioned he was supposed to come into a large amount of money and it fell through and... Uh, he also changed his appearance. He used to have very long hair. He cut it very, very short. It made him look like a completely different person. Um, and this was all around the time that um, JonBenet died, I believe. And not surprisingly, the family refused to give any DNA over. Yeah. So this is where I think that the FBI should have pushed a little harder or found a way to... Illegally, legally get it yeah. <laughs> because this man is very, very suspicious and a lot of things add up. And yeah, they could have been planted on him, but whoever killed him definitely knew that he was involved and wanted oh, yeah. to place the blame on him. Um, and I think that if the family doesn't want to turn over DNA, either they knew something or they don't want to believe that they're family member could have killed Chambonet. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think that this is a very interesting lead and he was already on the radar for this. Um, so I think that they should have pushed a little harder. I think it's very likely that he had involvement. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, there's a lot of evidence pointing to it. 
Um, but they kind of just said it wasn't really him. Um, so this leads to a man named uh, Scott Carruthers. I forget how they say his name. But he was the BDX cult leader. Um, and a lot of people claim that Scott hired Todd to kidnap John Bonet. Scott was arrested after police found out he hired people to kill enemies of BDX or uh, threats to him. And it was confirmed in court that he planned for a six-year-old girl to be kidnapped. Um, Victory, which was in the letter, it was signed right before SBTC, um, has a meaning to Scott. He used it a lot in his writing. Um, He also said truth a lot, which is also meaningful to him. And they linked SBTC to Scott Brook Truth Cruthers. Okay. And it would make sense that he would want to get a lot of money from somebody who had a lot of money. Yeah. And I'm sure it's public record, if you look far enough, what his bonus could be. Yeah, because <laughs> um, a lot of people... he John had a lot of enemies. But regardless, um, it was confirmed that he did do a lot of crime and he hired other people to do it um uh bernice thinks that scott wrote the ransom note but um there was evidence that he wasn't in town he was in um where was he he was in uh he's in another state visiting like family or something i don't remember he was with someone in his cult though because they wrote stuff about it um but so at this point in the documentary, a lot of things Bernice are saying are true and um, seem very suspicious. They have questioned Todd at this point and taken his DNA. His DNA doesn't match, but um, he was obviously lying in his interview. Um, the FBI agent talks about what he looks for in interrogations, and he was very clearly hiding something. Um and it just was really suspicious. Um, and there was also a scene where they go to the shack where um, Bernice says a lot of things that she's talking about will be backed up. And it hasn't been touched in a long time. So they go there. And a lot of the things she's saying up to this point are backed up by what they find in this place. Um, and this is when they, you know, interrogate Todd and everything and he's very suspicious <laughs> like yeah. he's a very suspicious man um but also another thing that also bothered me about this was um they didn't collect DNA samples directly from some of these sources um like with Scott um they and this next suspect is another man named Todd um they pulled from trash of the house and there's other people like they don't live in like good housing where it's just them or like their family it's them and other people Mm -hmm. so it's very hard to say if like that's specifically their dna so unless you test every single piece of trash which i highly doubt they did you're not going to find the right dna sample but moving on they also talk about another person named tan shanla and his brother aaron um, they talk about the crime history between them, um, and they connected 
John Bonet at this point to another unsolved murder in Colorado who was a seven-year-old girl. Um, Aaron was put in prison for killing a young girl in Hawaii, um, and Todd sexually harassed a young girl, supposedly. Um, it was... <sighs> It was said that it was supposed to be Aaron, and then the person who was sexually assaulted said that it wasn't Aaron, it was Todd. Um, So these two have a lot of crime, a lot of history, and a lot of history with young girls. Um, And they, at this point, linked three cases together. Uh, The case of Tracy Neef, Lacey Ruff, and John Bunny Ramsey. All of them died of asphyxiation. (laughs) (laughs) Strangulation. Um, They were all under eight years old. All three were sexually assaulted, and all were kidnapped or attempted in John Bonet's case. Mm-hmm. Um, they, it's just one of them was the young girl in Colorado that was unsolved, um, and she was found dead later on. But these are way too similar to look away from. I would say, yeah, um, especially if it was serial <laughs> and in the same state, um. Todd had a girlfriend at the time, or it was Aaron. I'm not really sure at this point. I kind of, like, was not paying attention. There was other stuff going on at the time. Um, but regardless, one of the brothers uh, had a girlfriend and had a young daughter, and she was talking to the FBI agent, and she said that he told her once that he knew someone who was involved in the murder. <laughs> so he was like, huh? <laughs> and... Uh, The thing about this one is they never actually met with Todd. Um, This is another one they just pulled garbage from. They left a letter for him saying what they were suspicious of, which I don't know why you would do that because obviously I would deny that (laughs) if I was given a letter by the FBI saying that I was accused in a murder case. Yeah, if anyone was... Accused of a murder, they would be like, okay, let me figure out how to not be convicted of murder. And then at this time, they also showed a video of Scott because they tried contacting him and he wasn't home. Um, And the producer or one of the producers found him driving up in his driveway, knocked on his window. He was very standoffish, saying, like, if you have anything to talk about with me, you can contact my lawyer. Um... They asked him if he still believed in aliens, and he's like, do you? So he was deflecting. Okay. And then he's like, did you kill John Bonnet Ramsey? And he's like, no. <laughs> like, yeah, because he's going to tell you a like, random yeah, guy I who runs actually. up to his car. <laughs> um, so I thought that was kind of weird and interesting. Um, but I guess Todd did give DNA. I'm not really sure how they got it, um, but apparently it didn't match. Or, no. Okay, hold on. The original Todd, Todd Foose, his DNA didn't match. And they took a cheap swab on the interrogation. Uh, obviously, Michael Hillgoth is dead. <laughs> and his family refused to give DNA. So we don't know about that lead. Um, Scott denies his involvement, was never tested for DNA. Uh, and then the other Todd was inconclusive. What does that mean? That he didn't match anything? I, it he wasn't it was in, in the system? It said it was inconclusive. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what that means. Um, it sounds like they could have messed up the process of testing the DNA. That was the end of that, um, the end of the documentary too, which was the frustrating part. Because I was like, okay, you say that his DNA is inconclusive and that's just, that's just it. Yeah, um, they should have done more to figure out if it was. 
but it, it bothered me because it felt like they had real leads and they were really starting to get somewhere. And then suddenly they're just like, oh, well, DNA didn't match. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it doesn't help that I think a lot of information gets construed about this case as well. Um, in the BuzzFeed um, episode, they said, like towards the end, actually, um, that Dr. Henry Lee said evidence found on her underwear was fallacious, meaning that it was inconclusive or uh, like not right i don't know it i was trying to look up what it meant in terms of dna but the definition kind of didn't really make a lot of sense to me um but it basically is making it seem like anyone could have been a suspect at that point yeah but there was dna they took from her fingers and like her underwear obviously and anything else that was on the scene um i don't know it just it it's frustrating and I know they're still investigating the case. Um, the thing with Michael really bothers me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like all their leads have something to hide, which bothers me even more. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's 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 a he said, she said at this point. Like, yeah. And Bernice I, is saying this, and obviously parts of her story are lining up and are true. But Todd's like, no, that's not true. But he's lying in his interrogation. So, like, yeah. Where do we go with this information? Because it's obvious someone's lying and somebody knows something, but we're not going to say it. <laughs> like, yeah. at this point, who cares who did it? They're going to get locked up because this is an unsolved murder, and they will act real quick on this. Um, and a lot of people still want justice for her. So, like, it's not like it would be something that would hurt them, you know? Yeah. Um, I also feel like a lot of people want it to be someone in the Ramsey house because that makes the story even more intriguing and messed up but listen but there's a just, lot of people who kill people in their family yeah that's a thing but it's very obvious it wasn't the ramses yeah and not that this makes a difference because there are a lot of christian involved cases but they were very good christians and they were good people in the community for the most part um obviously john was a politician and that creates issues in itself yeah but at the end of the day i think they were a good family and I think that they do live with a lot of guilt because obviously like how do you live with your child dying? Yeah, and if they were a Christian family, I highly doubt that they would have been like, Yeah, I'm gonna kill my own daughter. It just it doesn't make sense. It wouldn't be especially if they had time to like orchestrate her killing, why would they make it so rushed and leave DNA yeah. and leave and shit everywhere? Even if they accidentally killed her and created this whole scene why would have they made the garret why would have they done what they've did and how the hell are there things inside their house that weren't theirs yeah there how would have they also, got that there apparently the there's a rope found outside john Bonnet's room i don't know about this because it wasn't mentioned anywhere else but on buzzfeed they said that there was um this rope left outside her room that didn't belong to the ramses and it was never tested for dna For no reason. I don't know. But regardless, I think that in the end, accusing the family did uh, burn some bridges and burn some leads they could have had. Oh, yeah. Um, Completely. It could have prevented them from testing certain things, especially since it was such a public thing. Um, Putting them behind bars would have been a huge thing for the people involved. Um, So I think that in the end, that kind of ruined it. 
Oh, yeah. Um, and especially things like this are very time sensitive. A lot of DNA and evidence is very time sensitive. And they very clearly were still pushing people who are innocent further down the line. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and not everyone's going to agree with this. A lot of people are still going to say that they did it. You can't change people's mind, especially people who are around during this time. Oh, yeah. Um, like, I how was, do you change their mind? Yeah, <laughs> I was talking to my district manager today because he, like, overheard me talking about what we were going to talk about tonight. And he was like, yeah, I think it's the parents. So I'm like, do you? Did you do enough information? Did you gather enough information to see if, like, it's even possible? Yeah, like, there's definitely cases throughout history that are unsolved that I think the parents could have done it. But oh, yeah. This isn't one of them. Like, Madeline McCann, mm-hmm. definitely think the parents were involved. Yeah. But this, no. I don't I don't think they were. And I think that people are judging things that they don't really understand, especially human emotion is very tricky and a very sensitive thing. Our minds are very fragile um, and can't handle a lot of trauma, especially all at once. And yeah. it was a very traumatic thing. I mean, their prized daughter just was found murdered. Like, what are you, what are you supposed to do? Yeah. <laughs> and even if you look at the case objectively or non-objectively, like you look at the case thinking like, oh, what if it was the parents? You're going to f- find a way to make the case look like it was the parents in some way, shape or form. It's very common to use information specifically to favor one side or the other Mm -hmm. it's a very basic human thing a lot of people do it especially in politics but uh it's very very easy to construe evidence and data into what you want it to be um so if you look at it at certain points yeah it definitely looks like the parents could have done it but if you look at the whole it it doesn't add up you have to look at the whole picture in order to come up with any idea you can't you can't tell me directly that you think it was the parents like it there's so much that doesn't add up yeah um but in any case (laughs) um go watch the documentary i i seriously think that you'll completely change your mind if you still aren't convinced um i know i kind of talked about all of it but there's a lot i didn't talk about it's a very long documentary uh very well done um Screw the Netflix documentary. Skip that one. They <laughs> <laughs> you really hated that one. You texted well, me. You're it, like, I hate this documentary. It, it doesn't help that the the townspeople were like, oh, no, like, we love the Ramses, But then, like, I think she could have done it. <laughs> but yeah. I don't know if she did it. And I'm like, but at this point, like, are you just believing what the media is saying? Yeah, exactly. Because you knew them. Like, you knew these people. Do you, you, at the time, didn't think they were capable of murdering their own kid. But now you're thinking that they Yeah, they because the media fed this idea that it's possible that Patsy killed her own daughter because she wet the bed. Yeah. I feel like they were just, the media just manipulated God, if my them. parents killed me for wetting the bed, I'd be long gone. <laughs> <laughs> but in any case, um, let us know what you think. Uh, we hope you enjoyed. I know it was a bit of a long one, but uh, it's, this is what you get with unsolved murder. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) but (laughs) thank you again for listening. We love you and appreciate you and we'll see you next week.